Hello and welcome to the Anna Freud Centre's podcast series, talking about racism and mental health in schools with Stuart Lawrence and Blam UK. I'm Syra Neve, Senior Clinician in the Schools Division at the Centre. Today we're going to be looking at how experiencing racism impacts self-esteem and what schools can do to support the self-esteem of their students. With us today is the Honourable Stuart Lawrence, a former teacher, campaigner and speaker to schools, who utilises his experience and expertise to support all schools to understand and tackle racism better. We also have Rahi Popat, Pastoral Support Officer at Kiam Lodge School with us today, who will share his perspective working as an education professional in a diverse school in Leicester. Thank you so much both for joining us today. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Research has shown that black and ethnically minoritised young people who experience racial discrimination are likely to experience low self-esteem. Having low self-esteem isn't a mental health issue in itself, but it can be a risk factor for other mental health needs, such as anxiety and depression. We know that self-esteem is about how we value and perceive ourselves. There are lots of factors that can impact on self-esteem, such as early life trauma, bullying, physical health conditions, and experiencing prejudice and discrimination is one of the factors. If lots of things impact on self-esteem for an extended period of time, it can lead to the development of mental health difficulties. Low self-esteem can impact people in lots of ways and is something I see a lot in the children and young people I work with in schools. It can impact decision-making, ability to try new things, taking on new challenges, asking for help, attention, concentration and ability to complete a task. Stuart, Can we start by thinking about how experiencing racism and discrimination can affect the self-esteem of black and minoritised ethnic children and young people? For me, the effect on young people is something, again, they don't really understand until maybe later on in life. Uh, The example I can give here is I went and did a school talk in a a school in South East London. Um, This child was was in year nine. And after the presentation, after the talk, he stayed behind afterwards and said to me, oh, Stuart, I've realised now that I've had an racist incident happen to me. I was coming home from school one, one evening and someone shouted a racist comment at me uh, as I went home. And he went home and told his parents about it. But he said he didn't realise until after I'd spoken to him that the effects that could have or the connotations or where else it could go. And that really upset him. That, that someone would, would pick him out and, and, and say those things to him. And I think one of the things he wanted to be reassured about was that, was that him that they were speaking about? Or, or was that just a throwaway comment? So hearing you speak allowed him to separate it, yeah. separate the comment from himself to understanding it within a context of, oh, that was someone who used a term that was discriminatory or, you know, he used a racist comment, but kind of separate it from him yeah. to allow him to preserve his his I guess self esteem in a way and his yeah, his own sense of self definitely and so to understand as well that that could happen to someone else that looked like him it wasn't just him as a person so you know if if that scenario happens again hopefully he can go do you know what they were just trying to trying to get a reaction out of me that that wasn't me in my ultimate self that they were talking about because they don't know me they don't know my characteristics they don't know my personality so therefore it can't be about me personally like Stuart's examples how do we quantify someone's self-esteem almost like from a comment like that you know for someone who made a throwaway comment or intention or not intentional that self-esteem has been affected in some way shape or form and we almost sometimes can't quantify that self-esteem so you know how 
it sometimes can be measurable. It might be really significant at this present moment in time, but then not. But then later on in life, as Stuart said, you may not see it till later on. And as as you kind of build yourself up and that resilient tank, as you were, and your self-esteem tank, life experience and age and stage and all those various other factors that come into play as you grow up, you want to build yourself a, a bank of resiliency, don't you? You want to have those tools to go, right, I can deal with this. As Stuart said, I want to talk about it. I want to separate it. I think that understanding is key, what you were saying, because often children don't understand what's going on at the time. I remember when I was at school, there was a teacher who, who never learnt my name. She couldn't get my name and it wasn't important enough for her to learn it because it's not an English name. And, and, only le- and I didn't understand it as a child. And only later in life did I, could I grapple with understanding why that was and, and really that it wasn't about me, um, but it was about her and, and her understanding. I think until you get older, you, you, you don't have that level of understanding. But I think if we talk about it earlier, maybe those, maybe that young child in primary can get their head around it. Like you said, Stuart, you know, they can have a frame of reference. Yeah to help them to then separate it from, you know, it's not about me, it's about this. And also challenge as well, isn't it? So if you went home and said, Mum, this teacher just can't pronounce my name. And then if, if your parents go, well, did you pronounce everyone else's name correctly? And you go, yeah, then, then, then that enables another layer of conversation and, and some actions to be able to go forth. So therefore, the long-term effect of that then isn't seen. I think that's that's again that that the understanding of that we really have to allow our young people to have the tools and the language to use of understanding. I think that's key here as well. And and the more we we give our young people these tools, these 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 building blocks, these scaffolding of of giving that context. Because otherwise they're just left with a feeling. Yeah. Right? And that feeling then can present itself in lots of ways. Yeah. And then we get labelled as being disruptive or that's the, you know, that's the naughty show. But actually it's it's that they can't, like you said, put a word to a feeling that they're feeling or experiencing or that can be misunderstood. Allowing them to be curious. Let kids be kids sometimes and, and curiosity, let that be a thing and let them sit with curiosity as well. As we've talked about going home and going, right, why is that teacher not able to pronounce my name? Let them be curious. Curiosity will allow questions. Questions will hopefully allow some answers. So what approach should schools take to address racism and discrimination of their students, which we know um, impacts negatively on on their self-esteem? I think schools can't normalise banter. You know, um, many schools kind of any throwaway comments, any flippant comments have been seen as banter or it's, it's just playground talk. We can't have that. There's obviously no room for racism right, and discrimination. And we've got to be able to teach our children and young people, anything they've said, whether it or you know has a negative connotation or anything that they've said, they go, "Well, I'm saying that as banter." And he said it to my mate. We don't know the impact that I can have on person's self-esteem. We've got to stop it at the source. We've got to be able to say, actually, no. Schools have got to have a zero tolerance approach to this. You know, there's there's no ifs and buts. It has to be zero tolerance. You know, we're we're not expecting schools, and schools aren't equipped with all the resources around it, and that's okay too. Because it's a learning process, we're all in it together. Some schools might be better equipped due to their where they are and their kind of catchment area, but other schools might not be. And you know, it's that kind of working together, joined up thinking, to actually go. Actually, no, I'm not going to accept that banter. And if it's not going to be accepted at this school here in primary school, the child shouldn't then go transition from year six to seven where it is accepted. It's got to be that smooth transition. Actually, it's not accepted across the board, and that's how we're going to slowly but surely 
trying to in, in instill our child a young person that actually those sort of banter comments aren't acceptable, whether that's before the school gates, after the school gates, on the weekends, wherever you are as a as a human being, as a person, that isn't acceptable. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And it's, and one of the, the mindful things that schools will be saying, well, that's going to be really difficult to police. How do we do this? You know, we can't be everywhere. But it's that, it's that sort of top-down, bottom approach, isn't it? So if, the, if the, the, the senior leaders, the people who are running the schools, the school governors, the head teachers, they're saying, we don't accept this. We are an anti-racist school. These are our policies. This is the behaviour. These are the language that we find unacceptable to be used, the words that are unacceptable to be used in this environment. Then what we're ho- hopefully saying is that that will then follow on to not just that environment inside the school, but then into the local communities, into the workplace. And as these young people grow up into adults, it just becomes part of who they are. So it's, it's going to be difficult. It's just going to be some bits of time where we're going to need some allowing things to be understood. And that crossover period where it's going to be a little bit messy and a bit d- difficult. But it starts here and today, I do believe. It's, it's, it's going to be a brave person that says, you know what? This is us. This is who we, what we stand for. This is our lines of acceptance and not acceptance, and any form of hatred. You know, there's nine protected characters, but and any form of hatred is unacceptable in this environment. And then hopefully that will then feed itself into our local communities and into the workplace as well. And you're giving the young people a very clear message, then, aren't you? That you know that you're taking it seriously, and that that that's your position, and that you're not going to just oh let that slide or pretend I didn't hear it. Actually, we're going to take a really clear no tolerance stance, and I think that would probably feel quite comforting to some young people who perhaps feel that in the past things haven't been taken seriously, or they've been you know, or they haven't felt able to raise something in case you know, oh that's you know they didn't mean it, or so it, it gives that young person the confidence to say no that the school support me with knowing that that's not okay yeah absolutely it's empowering them empowering them to have that belief and and sitting with it as we just said about a a school being brave and sitting with it as well like i said it's not going to be an easy road as we've just said but sitting with it and being comfortable with it if they sit with the fact actually my school said no it's not acceptable any like we said any form of hatred then hopefully we we start to have good citizens you know, and it's planting those seeds early, whether that's in foundation in primary school, all the way up to FE, college, planting those seeds. And our kids are taught by what we teach. If we teach them what the right practice is, hopefully with society working together, we, we stand a greater chance. And how does um, low self-esteem manifest in, in the children's behaviour and performance in schools? What, what do you think um, staff should look out for? This is being able to pick out those key indicators and, and knowing your, your young people that you're interacting with. And it goes back to that, that level of trust and that level of um, being able to have those conversations that are not always contextualised to your subject matter. You know, that, that just talking about, say, asking someone how you are. How's your day been? What have you been up to? What do you get up to over the weekend? Can give you great layers of understanding of a young person's experience outside the school environment. And it comes down to small things like someone that used to be really putting their hand up all the time and being really communicative that way, who all of a sudden starts retiring into themselves. Someone who's, you know, fluttering from different social groups could be another key indicator. So it's, it's really hard as a, as a teacher to try and keep looking out for these key indicators. But I do believe the the more that you interact, the more that you allow yourself to be comfortable in those scenarios, is the more that you're able to pick up those little nuances of things to go, do you know what? He would never have done that before. Why has he done that? And then going back and say, Tom, what's wrong with you, Tom, today? Um, are you feeling okay? What else is going on? And, and sometimes it's not even asking that question, how are you feeling today? It's just saying, 
what did you what did you do, did you do last night and, and, and allowing the person just to start to speak what's your favourite music band what's your favourite football team did you see the goals at the weekend and in those conversations about other things then being able to start dropping in and asking other questions and I guess teachers are, are in a very good position aren't they to get to know their pupils so that then they can notice those changes those those moments where they you know something's a bit unexpected oh he doesn't normally you know he's not normally late or yeah. she's uh, she's normally really engaged in in, in lessons what's going on. and be, and and then that's the open door to be curious and yeah. to just do those check-ins really and just see what's going on for that young person yeah we're we're in a privileged you know position as teachers and, and and educators you know you see a child young person could come in and we talked about about form tutor that's the first snapshot we see of them we just talked about the the year nine child that came up to do it now that child could have gone home and not spoken to about parents it would have been quiet sat in his room and had a different outcome to his evening well that's what we'll see but this the underlying thing the iceberg if you like was that something's been said so we kind of need to uncover that and like we've talked about taking an interest going into schools and talking to them or having that opportunity to have that relatability with someone gives them a, it just chips away at it doesn't it and just gives them that opportunity to get to know that young person for me it's about seeing beyond what you see in front of you yes it's tricky and fully appreciate that you know to have the time and support and not all schools have the pastoral impact some that stretched completely appreciate that but it's those little things and what do you think schools can do to support this it's creating that culture an ethos, isn't it, amongst... You could be a primary school that has 150 kids or a secondary school that has 1,500. The the issue around, like, racism and mental health, it will be everywhere in terms of a, a topic that we cover as educators. So having that culture and ethos and going, actually, this is part of our school. This is what we're going to embed in. We're going to allow... You know, in schools I've worked and we've done things like Chatter Matters for primary school children where you have a box and you put your worries in there or something's happened where you don't want someone to just know straight away, but you know someone's going to pick up that that box and come and check in on you discreetly. Just having, being creative with it as well. Not only are you having that culture and ethos, yes, it might be a slow and steady, but that culture and ethos works for you. It doesn't have to be same as it, it might be mirrored in some aspects, but if it fits for you, it, it works for you. And that's what you've got to do. And sometimes it's going to be trial and error. You know, it might be that actually this culture and ethos that you had originally, you might need to amend it and have a different version to it. I, I believe the, the student voice scenario here is, is, is key as well, to, to understand that it doesn't always have to come from another adult. It may come from a peer. Um, but again, allowing them to have the space and the premise to, to be comfortable in that. So schools can and really encourage the peer mentoring scenario where we're, where we're talking to one another uh, we we have other clubs and scenarios where they can speak so it's not just always in the classroom scenario and how can this be an ongoing part of good practice in schools i think in schools having that time patience and that kind of mindset of a collaborative approach you know not just working like with the child young person you know where where we are in leicester keem lodge you know we have staff who are key workers for children but that doesn't just stop at the, the child we liaise with the family and build that relationship up and it allows I suppose trust part of like the the mentoring that we do not only do we provide it to the children and person we provide it to the parents as well at the same time we're always thinking about the child young person being at the center and the heart and the beating heart of what we're doing of the school so that is a really good practice that you know that not only that we do but I know schools do it in terms of having their local community involved, but also having that as part of their DNA, you know, in terms of mentoring and supporting other people in their 
school? I mean, what we do see is that self-esteem can look so different. I mean, first of all, there's so many reasons why a young person's self-esteem will be impacted. But also, you know, you might get a young person who actually has amazing inner, inner confidence and, and strong self-esteem, but isn't necessarily the loudest and the most outspoken. But it's almost that they don't feel the need uh, to be seen or to be heard because actually almost like they've got a level of kind of inner peace and, and calm within them. So again, self-esteem can show itself in different ways. Yeah, and I think they... They kind of copy and mirror what they see. Like social media plays a big part nowadays in terms of mental health. And, you know, we've seen and heard of, of various people, high profile people in the media who have struggled with their mental health. And our true young people will turn to social media and, and look to imitate and copy and believe that this is okay or this is the norm. And having that authenticity and having that kind of mindset that actually I'm not okay today or having that teacher going, do you know, I struggled, I had a difficult weekend, you know, there's peer friendship groups difficulties and relationships and these, you know, start building from primary school in terms of different friendships forming and you're trying to find your identity. We've got to take, and this is one of the key things we've talked about, isn't it, that we've got to take the child for who they are and it's, you know, it's not one size fits all. Getting to know them for who they are, yeah. not who we want them to be. or Definitely, and opinions of others, I think that also can be great detriments to people's self-esteems and um someone someone said to me you know someone sometimes you've got to think of it like this someone else's opinion of you doesn't really matter that's not that's none of your business you can't change it you can't shape it anyway but to be confident in yourself and just to know who you are is is, is, is quite powerful thing to do so you know as, as much as we are in a society of commenting on others you don't listen need to listen to the noise um just, just be be happy with who you are as yourself and and to, to know that there will be people out there who appreciate you who love you for who you are and what you stand for and, and that's where you just find your center yourself in those people with those people and a very important message i guess for schools to be give and educators to be giving children because what we do know is developmentally children are still developing a sense of self as they're growing i mean we can't expect a, a five six-year-old to have a <laughs> have a completely constructed sense of self it's it, that's not developmentally appropriate and so guiding them and supporting them but acknowledging their level of development would be important because that is a process that you know we're still going through we're always going through let alone when you're a child and it's very it's quite fragile and so you know we know the teenage years are particularly difficult because young people begin to um, individuate move away from kind of so much parental influence and move towards peers and the impact of that is huge so kind of schools supporting the young person to have that message of figuring out what's important to them what matters themselves you know a better sense of self is is massively important yeah definitely and I think as, as we've just said there that that process it's a journey you know, if it starts at primary school, we equip them with the tools and the variety of tools as well. You know, and the self-esteem, you know, I likened it earlier to like a jar or a battery. You know, if our phone was low on battery, we'd put it straight on charge. We're very good at that. We wouldn't let that. So it's like it's always going to fluctuate. But what is it what can we do to keep it the best we can and, and, and as high as possible? Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you to Stuart and Rahi for your insights. We've talked about the impact of, of racism on, on self-esteem in young people, you know, how this might manifest, uh, what we might see, what we might uh, look out for in the classroom. But we've also talked about how self-esteem is different for everyone. It, it looks different and the focus is on getting to know the young person for who they are and the importance of the relationships within the school environment for getting to know that young person and modelling, modelling talking about feelings and, and hopefully supporting the young person to develop the best possible self-esteem that they can. 
To learn more about this topic, listen to the other episodes in this Talking Racism and Mental Health in Schools series. At the Anna Freud Centre, we're also developing a package of free resources and e-learning for education professionals on the topic of anti-racism and mental health to be launched in spring 2022. So do keep an eye out for that.